It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15000 178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Randall Fitzgerald as we're talking about his research and his work, Alien in the Mirror. We're going to talk about several of the UFO cases he's investigated and then get to your calls. Randall, let's start with this case in Washington, D.C. that involves CIA officials. Tell me about that story. Yes, that is an interesting one because it involves a a woman named Frances Swan. Uh, This was in the... Uh, early to mid-1950s, she was a channeler, and she believed that she was channeling an extraterrestrial uh, entity named AFA, A-F-F-A, and that this entity was giving her information uh, that many of the contactees uh, during that period of time uh, were receiving, having to do with the fate of planet Earth and nuclear weapons and so forth. Somehow, she attracted the attention of the Naval Intelligence uh, Service uh, in Washington, D.C., and Naval Intelligence began sending out uh, officers to interview her. She had also attracted attention from Wilbert Smith, who was uh, the head of radio engineering for the Canadian government, and he had made trips to interview her. And this went on for several years, these uh, series of trips by uh, naval intelligence and uh, representatives of the Canadian government. And eventually, for some reason, um, what she was providing by way of information, technical information, attracted the attention of the CIA. And what transpired is that a naval intelligence officer who had met with Mrs. Swan in Maine, a rural part of Maine where she lived, and she taught him how to channel and how to connect with AFA. And he believed that he was channeling this entity 
he wanted to prove it, so he arranged an, a meeting with several CIA officers in a downtown Washington, D.C. office. One of those uh, officers was Arthur Lundahl. Arthur Lundahl was the head of the CIA's photographic department, uh, which analyzed uh, of photographs of, and had, in fact, been someone who was interested in UFOs, the Trentmonton UFO sighting some years earlier. Um, he had examined the photographs associated with that. In, in respect, what happened was that a meeting occurred in 1957 at this uh, office in downtown Washington, D.C., and it was this um, lieutenant commander with naval intelligence, and he began channeling uh, AFA, trying to prove to these uh, two CIA officers uh, that uh, AFA existed. They asked him a series of questions, and one of the questions was, uh, can you prove you are who you say you are by manifesting a UFO right now. And uh, this lieutenant commander, uh, using the voice of AFA, replied, yes, go to the window. And these two officers proceeded to go to the window and look out, and they saw what they would later claim was a silvery object in the sky. One of the officers got on the telephone and called up um, a radar station uh, there in Washington, D.C. area, uh, asking if they could find uh, uh, the radar signature of this object they were seeing in the sky. And the response was, no, we can't, because that area of the sky is blacked out to us right now. We don't have uh, access to it, which was highly unusual, actually. So. What transpired were a series of meetings after that involving uh, the CIA, uh, Naval Intelligence, and Project Blue Book investigators that were sent from Wright-Patterson uh, Airfield in Ohio. And in part of Alien in the Mirror, I, I dedic uh, dedicate quite a bit uh, of that particular uh, chapter, that section on contactees and abductees, to this particular case, because I had gone in the late 70s uh, to Maine and interviewed Mrs. Swan. She was still alive. I had interviewed um, Arthur Lundahl um, with the CIA, uh, along with uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend, who had been associated with Project Bubuk at that time. And all of these people were telling this story, uh, and for the most part, there, uh, the story jived with uh, each individual, but there were some discrepancies. Uh, for instance, uh, Lundahl refused to acknowledge that he had seen a UFO in the sky. But then Jacques Vallée was able to get a hold of an internal CIA memo that uh, his collaborator, the astronomer J. Allen Hynek, had uh, gotten a hold of. And Jacques Vallée, um, I saw the memo through Jacques. And this particular memo is about 12 pages long. I reproduce it uh, in the book, by the way. Uh, it tells the entire story of what happened. And 
eventually had a personal conversation with this Arthur Lundahl of the CIA, who had since retired from the agency. And Lundahl, according to Jacques, uh, verified that everything in this CIA memo uh, was true. So basically, Lundahl uh, had lied to me uh, when I tried to put him on the record uh, in print about what had transpired, but then confided that it was all true to Jacques Vallée, and that in turn was verified by this uh, memo, which is reproduced in the book. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now tell us about your work on the Phoenix Lights. You interviewed 50 witnesses, and also tell us about this tragic aftermath. That fascinates me. I did an article for Reader's Digest uh, in my role as a roving editor um, that appeared in a 1998 uh, issue. And of course, the Phoenix Lights, uh, I call them the Arizona Lights because the sighting, the mass sighting was through the entire state of Arizona, uh, which occurred uh, March 13th, 
1977. In the aftermath of it, I had gone to Arizona uh, and searching for witnesses, and I ended up interviewing about 50 people who had seen uh, the lights that night. And I was interested particularly in three categories of witnesses. I wanted to interview witnesses who had looked at the five lights in the sky coming from the direction of the Hale-Bopp comet through binoculars. Uh, I wanted to, to get as many of them as possible. And I found uh, at least a half a dozen people that had looked through binoculars at these lights. I also wanted to get interviews with pilots who had been flying in the sky that night and might have come close or had seen at a distance the lights. And I also wanted to interview air traffic controllers. I was able to find witnesses in all three of those categories uh, among the 50 interviews that I conducted. And what came about is something different from the usual story we hear about what happened uh, in the skies over Arizona that night. I was curious about why the people that looked at the lights through binoculars saw five independent lights uh, that were not connected uh, and that were flying um, with lights uh, in their nose, their landing lights, pointed down toward the ground. Uh, it was as if this formation of lights wanted to be seen. Uh, as it traversed the entire uh, state of Arizona. Uh, and then as the lights got closer to the city limits of Phoenix, as I interviewed people, what they saw was that the five lights seemed to be on one large object. So I was curious, how could that happen? Was it an atmospheric phenomenon that accounted for misjudging? How could five independent lights that were seen by people in northern Arizona, in remote areas uh, seen through binoculars, uh, then become, uh, according to the witnesses in the Phoenix area, in the, the suburbs, one independent object? And then <clears throat> when the lights uh, headed toward Tucson to the, the south that night, uh, more people looked at them through binoculars, and they saw five independent lights again. I also, in talking with uh, pilots that were in the sky that night, they, some pilots claimed that they had had a radio conversation with the pilots of those five lights, claiming that they were five independent aircraft. They called themselves snowbirds. I interviewed uh, the snowbirds representatives. That's a Canadian high-performance um, flight uh, group out of uh, Saskatchewan, and I interviewed them, and they claimed that they were not in the sky that night, so the, the, the mystery sort of deepened, and then <clears throat> here's something that I, I speculated about. Could this effect have been holographic? Could this have been a holographic experiment where five independent lights seemed to merge into one when they were over heavily populated areas, and then became independent again after they left the, those areas and headed toward Tucson. So I looked at what was in Tucson, uh, and just south of Tucson, near the Mexican border, there is um, a fort, Fort Hawachica. This is the psychological warfare training 
area for all five of the services. Uh, it's run by the U.S. Army. There's an airfield there, and uh, they, they train people from all the various branches of the military in psychological warfare exercises. So I, I began to ask myself, could this have been a psychological warfare exercise using holographic technology? So I began, again, looking deeper, and there's an aspect of what happened that night uh, and in the weeks afterward that isn't fully uh, appreciated. And I call it the tragic aftermath uh, in the book. We've all heard about Heaven's Gate. Oh, yeah, we sure have. In the San Diego area, you know, the 39 members that committed mass suicide. Why did they commit mass suicide? because they thought they were going to receive deliverance from a UFO. What was the UFO? It was what they thought was following the Hale-Bopp comet and had appeared in the skies two weeks earlier over Arizona uh, on March 13th, 1997. So it was this appearance in the sky over Arizona that triggered the mass suicide of the Heaven's Gate cult. Then something else happened that's quite unusual. Right after the Heaven's Gate cult committed suicide, a Captain Craig Button, a A-10 pilot, flying out of Tucson's Davis Monthan Air Force Base, this guy was 32 years old, he had read about what had happened over Arizona, uh, the Arizona Lights sighting. And he had concluded, based on interviews done later with his parents, that it heralded the end of the world. He crashed his A-10 Thunderbolt fighter 800 miles off course, intentionally crashing it into a Colorado mountain. God. Because he was convinced that the that it was all over. Rights indicated the end of the world, but the story gets even more complex. A week or so later, another A-10 pilot, flying out of that same air base in Tucson, Davis Monthan, her name was Captain Amy Svoboda. She crashed her A-10 fighter into the desert of southwestern Arizona. And the circumstances remain unclear surrounding her death. But there was a pattern there of people thinking that whatever happened over Arizona was an indication of something so unsettling that they took their own lives. And then the question I raised was, if it was a psychological warfare experiment in the sky that night that involved holographic technology, then whoever was involved, whoever initiated that particular uh, experiment uh, using thousands of people in Arizona as guinea pigs, whoever initiated it can be held responsible for the suicides of all these people who felt that this was something so impactful that they would take their own lives. And what about Iowa? Then we'll take calls. In Iowa, that is a, a trace case uh, of molten metal that was left after a UFO sighting 
outside of Council Bluffs, Iowa, in December 1977 that I investigated. And there were a lot of witnesses. They saw a fiery ball at the tree line uh, at night that hovered. Then it fell to uh, the earth that splattered. And there was this huge molten metal, uh, and it was a, a type of metallic alloy, chiefly iron, that had amounts of nickel and chromium in it. And this had never been fully studied before, and Jacques Vallée told me about this case, and, and that's the reason why I uh, particularly, it was an old case, but I singled it out. And what made it even more interesting is that residue from this sighting still existed uh, right up till um, today. And Jacques Vallée and a professor at Stanford University uh, decided to submit this metal to a metallurgical testing that is much more sophisticated than was, was available uh, back in the 1970s. And they did that, and they published uh, the results uh, just this past January in a, a science journal called Progress in Aerospace Sciences. And this was the first UFO residue case to be submitted to these highly sophisticated tests and then to be published, the results to be published in a mainstream science journal. And what they found were a lot of anomalies in the structure, the metallic structure uh, of this residue. But what was even more important for the future of UFO studies is that by having uh, this publication uh, give attention, serious attention, uh, to this residue, it opens the door to future mainstream science journals uh, doing similar sorts of studies, publishing articles on the results uh, of these uh, metallurgical examinations of UFO residue. It's baffling. This one's baffling, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, and why it was picked out in particular uh, by Jacques Vallée, um, uh, you know, stands the test of time. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? 
I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translate is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. 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 